Hey everybody, what's up? Don't you love technology? It works most of the time. This Sunday, it did not work for us. We had a great time worshiping and talking about the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it didn't get recorded. So I get the joy to kind of rehash it with you one-on-one on a uh, kind of chilly, cold Thursday afternoon. Uh, Shari and I used to have a wiener dog named Minnie Mae. She was a like an 8- to 10-pound miniature dachshund, and we really loved her. And when we first got her, she's since passed, but when we first got her years ago, maybe... Uh, 2009 or so, we were walking in our neighborhood to a friend's house. They lived on the back side of this new subdivision. We lived on the front side, but because of the 2008 financial crisis, the building had stopped, and so in the middle of the subdivision, there were no houses, just the roads that they had paved when they were doing all the infrastructure. And I was at our friend's house already. It's probably July, and Shari wanted to come and meet us. I think we were having dinner. She brought Minnie Mae, the dog. They were going to walk so that we wouldn't drive two cars back because we lived in the same neighborhood. And uh, about halfway through the walk, our dog gave up. It was hot. The pavement was hot. And Shari said she was just panting. And when they finally showed up um, at the house, when we opened the door, uh, Minnie Mae's tongue was touching the concrete ground. Now, She's a wiener dog, which means like her face is about three inches off the ground to begin with because we're short. But still, I had never seen her pant like that. I'd never seen her tongue hang out of her mouth like that. She was, in her mind, I'm sure, dying of thirst. It was so hot. We ended up, we didn't have a dog bowl, so we just took a bottled water and just tried to like pour it down her mouth like she was a human. It was hilarious. I think, sadly, that's the closest I've ever seen uh anyone really and it's a dog thirst or pant for thirst you know i get hungry all the time and and shari would tell you that i am hangry when i'm hungry i am not if i'm sick or or hungry it's not i'm not pleasant to be around but even then am i really hungry it's been, what, a few hours since I've eaten? I honestly don't know, beyond times of fasting, if I've g- genuinely been hungry, like no food on the horizon hungry. And I wonder how many of us have have been there. So this beatitude of blessed are those who hunger and thirst, it's a little difficult for most, not all, but most postmodern Americans because we we live in such a time of abundance and excess. And while there are people at our fingertips who don't have that, uh, the majority of people that I know at least don't really struggle with hunger. We are quite satisfied and comfortable for the most part. And so I pray that God would help us to understand that he is a God who not only loves the poor, 
not only loves those who mourn, not only loves those who are meek, but he also loves those who are hungry and thirsty, for they will be filled. I'd like to read the Beatitudes in their entirety to you. In Matthew 5, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The fourth, today's. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are kind of these statements of blessing that Jesus gives us. The first three Beatitudes that we have dealt with deal primarily with us. They are an examination of the self, and they're negative. Blessed are the poor in spirit, mourning for sin, uh, meekness. These are all in relationship with ourself and then eventually in relationship to others. But this fourth beatitude is the first positive beatitude we have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And it's not just towards ourselves or towards others, but it's towards God. And it is a future, uh, futuristic in its um, kind of tense. You see, it's not enough to mourn over your past sin we must also, as followers of Jesus, hunger and thirst for future righteousness as well. Now, there's this great, you know, it's kind of not necessarily important to this sermon, but I I thought on the Beatitudes in general, this is an an incredible uh, observation. In in Luke chapter 1, in Mary's Magnificate, uh, so many of these attributes of the Beatitudes show up in this song that Mary, being around 14 years old, just spontaneously um, burst out in, uh, in, in joy in Luke 1, 46 through 53, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble, there's one, of his servant, the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. There's another. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy, there's another one, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, there's another one, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. There's another one. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. Fascinating that even in Mary's Magnificate, the Beatitudes are kind of showing up and hinted at. Now, um, I have an image that I showed the church on Sunday, and we'll show it again this upcoming Sunday, but it's very easy to to visualize. Um, I actually got this picture of the Beatitudes when I went to go see a counselor. I um, went... As a 27-year-old, very depressed, finding it hard to get out of bed, finding it hard to cope with the realities of life, went to Rick, my my counselor, and said, uh, I need a prescription. And after a couple of sessions, he 
gently found a way to tell me that in my case, I did not need a prescription. What I needed was to cooperate with the Beatitudes. And he kind of drew this picture of an hourglass, kind of one funnel on top of an inverted funnel, if you would. And at the top of the, the hourglass or the top funnel, he wrote the word self. And at the bottom of the page, he wrote the word God. And he said, the Beatitudes are this progression of the emptying of self and the filling of God. In, in the first half of the hourglass, so to speak, he wrote, you know, poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, meekness. And explain to me, and it's fascinating, I've never even heard this anywhere else, that the point of the Beatitudes is to empty us of ourself. And when you, when you, when you are empty, when a stomach is empty, the fourth Beatitude happens pretty quickly, is you're hungry. When you have recognized your spiritual poverty, when you have mourned over your sin, when you have humbled yourself and assumed a posture of meekness, it is only then that you are empty. And then, after being empty, you get filled. And what does God fill you with? Well, he fills you with more of himself. He fills you with his mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. He fills you with purity. He fills you with his peacemaking ability. And the result of that, so that's the, like the lower part of the hourglass is that merciful um, purity and heart and peacemaking. The result of being empty of yourself, hungering for more of God, full of God's nature in a world that is anti-God, the result of that is the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. A fantastic image, a fantastic way of seeing the beatitudes. Now, when I meet people who are kind of lackadaisical or they're lukewarm or they're apathetic and they don't really have a hunger for God, I always ask them, is it because you're not empty? And if you're listening and maybe you're in a time of your life where you, you really don't hunger and thirst and ache and yearn and pant, and seek after the things of God. If you could be honest enough with yourself to acknowledge that, would you be honest enough to also ask yourself, is that because you aren't yet empty? Is it because self is still very much in charge? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Spiritual hunger should be a characteristic of all of God's people because our supreme ambition is not material, it is spiritual. Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, not seek first the next upgrade to your iPhone. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the pastor of Westminster Chapel across, literally across the street from Buckingham Palace in London, he had royalty as well as the poor in his church. Of this verse, he wrote, if this verse isn't the most blessed thing you've read in scripture, you need to check your foundations. Fascinating. I mean, what he's pointing out is this promise of if you were hungry and thirsty for him, God, he would satisfy that with righteousness. If that's not good news to you, you have to inspect the nature of how you have come into the faith. 
It is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we hunger for lots of things. We hunger for deeper spiritual experiences and encounters with God. We hunger for miracles, signs, and wonders. We hunger for more of the Spirit's power in our life. We hunger for just straight-up joy and peace and contentment. We even hunger for spiritual health and maturity. Those are all great things. But do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? You could argue that it is appropriate to first hunger for righteousness and then proceed to search and seek out things like spiritual health, spiritual maturity, and even encountering the presence of God. Now, righteousness has three aspects to it, and this is where we kind of get into the weeds, and I've got to get a little nuance here because this is where a lot of people take this verse and get really squirrely, so please follow me. Biblically speaking, there are three, at least, three aspects to righteousness. The first is justice, right? We would speak of um, people who are, in a negative sense, self-righteous, meaning that they are justifying themselves in their relationship to God, not based on the finished work of Christ, but on their maybe um, ability to be good or their morality or whatever. And that would be self-righteousness, okay? And, and, and this aspect of justice when it comes to righteousness is not the justice Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes because he's speaking to his disciples, as Matthew makes it very clear. And his disciples are already a part of his kingdom on the basis of Jesus. And so this doesn't apply. What Jesus is speaking of in this beatitude is the second and third dimension of righteousness, and that is moral righteousness and social righteousness, or individual righteousness, or community righteousness. I think he's speaking of the combination of that. We might say it like this. The disciple or apprentice, follower of Jesus, however you want to say it, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is aching, desiring, hungering, thirsting for more of God's way in their individual life and in the life of their community, city, and world. D.A. Carson puts it really kind of more sharply than that. This kind of, there's a word in here that a lot of modern people don't like, but I think it's accurate. Carson says, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness then hungers and thirsts for the conformity to God's will. Now, our day, we don't really like to talk about conformity. We want to be original, especially us millennials. We want to be our own. We want to be original. We want to be authentic. We don't want anyone controlling us. The problem with that here is, is when we are to seek God's righteousness, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what we're fundamentally saying is your kingdom come, your will be done, your agenda be done. So when Jesus doles out this blessing for those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he's not talking about salvation here. He's not talking about a, a, a justificating righteousness, if that's even a word. He's, he's saying that, that when we hunger for righteousness, we are personally wanting more of God's way in us. And then when we look into our world, 
that we want more of God's way there as well. Here's a question for you. Do you hunger and thirst for unrighteousness? There's a lot of hungers and appetites that we have, and a lot of them are not righteous at all. When we were building our house years ago, um, I did a lot of work on it to save money, and the contractor was one of my good friends, and so he cut a deal with me and and said, hey, I'll do it for this amount of money if you'll kind of be the supervisor and show up there every day in the morning and at night and kind of keep track on things, and it saves me by putting a guy out there. And so I was kind of the the uh, unofficial supervisor who was also the homeowner, who was also a, a subcontractor to myself to save money. And so I was often out the house, and um, the painters came to paint, and... Um, the crew that was painting our house was not the best crew. We chose the cheapest company out there. And so there were some young men who couldn't be more than 19 or 20 who I think were picked up off the street, given a white T-shirt, and were promised some cash at the end of the day. And they're in our house painting. And, you know, they don't know that I'm the homeowner. They don't know that I'm a pastor. They just think I'm another sub next to them. And so they're talking pretty freely. And they began to talk about all of the strip clubs that they went to. And they were talking about the girls they liked and how, um, you know, they can't wait to get off work because they're going to go to this other one. And they started talking about um, which clubs they liked, which clubs they didn't like, and how they... I almost said, do you know you're painting a pastor's house? And, and I'm him, but I, I was afraid of, I don't know what they would do to the house um, if I kind of placed that judgment on them. So I, I just went to a different room, but it's an example of people hungering and thirsting for unrighteousness. Not only, what was fascinating to me was they weren't just talking about their hunger for this disgusting practice that's in our society, but they were hungering in a communal sense of how they wish different strip clubs would operate like other ones, and they were expressing not just a individual hunger, but a community hunger of how things should be. And it was unrighteous, and it was disgusting, and it was gross, and it makes me even sick thinking about it right now. That's hungering and thirsting for unrighteousness. Uh, To add to that, this is the problem with lust. Um, I talk to men all the time who struggle with lust, and the thing about lust is people... Who, who struggle with lust uh, believe this lie that if once they get married and, you know, can, can um, have sex whenever they want, that the lust problem is going to go away. A hundred percent of the time, what I have found is the opposite is true. It gets worse. 
because lust is the hunger and the desire and the thirst for what you don't have. Lust is the hunger for what's forbidden. And so when a, when a, when a young man, uh, when it's, quote, you know, unquote, you know, for, uh, forbidden to, uh, you know, have these relations with this, his girlfriend or whatever, society norms have kind of changed on that a lot. But the reason why there's still a lust problem is the moment they get married, this, this woman that he was lusting after is no longer forbidden. And the hunger for what's forbidden takes over and it goes even further. It's the, the deception of that stronghold of lust is it's never satisfied. It always progresses. That is a hunger and a thirst for unrighteousness. Often, stunted spiritual growth is the result of when we have jaded or warped appetites. Do you have a hunger or a thirst for unrighteousness? The ending of this beatitude says, for they will be filled. And sometimes people interpret that as, for they will be fully satisfied once and for all, and that we don't believe is the case here, logically or experientially, all of these beatitudes are perpetual. It's not like you recognize your spiritual poverty once and then never need to acknowledge it again. It's not that you confess and mourn for your sin once and then never again. It's not that you have an act of humility once. No, 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 no. All of these beatitudes are ongoing, perpetual realities in our life. And it's no, dif- no different with hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I have some friends who are college basketball fans, and they, you know, if you know college basketball, there's uh, Kentucky, they are known for what's called one and dones, where they get these students who are just a year away from the NBA, and they come for one season, they don't go to class, they are not there for an education, they're there to, to make a run, at the championship in March, and then they're off to the, the NBA, and they're called one and done. The, the Beatitudes are not like Kentucky basketball. The, the Beatitudes are not one and done. The Beatitudes are ongoing. Carson, on this ongoing perpetual nature of the Beatitudes, especially on hunger, says, this built-in cycle of growth is easy to understand as soon as we remember that righteousness in this text refers not to obeying some rules, but to conforming all of yourself to God's will. The person, the more a person pursues conformity to God's will, the more attractive the goal becomes and the greater the advances are made. How I think about it is I really like Dr. Pepper. And when I have a Dr. Pepper, I'm satisfied and I'm filled and I want more. And that's how this is. We taste and see that the Lord is good, and we want more. Not because 
there's anything wrong with his righteousness, but because it is just so good and we want more and more and more and more of it. When I, weeks ago I shared a story about when I um, was very cynical and kind of stuck in this really stronghold of negative and skeptical thinking, and, and I went in this depression to my counselor. Um, what happened was when I was really set free from that stuff and I was working through these beatitudes and I recognized my spiritual poverty and I recognized my sin for what it was and I began to humble myself before God and before others, I automatically began to experience a hunger for more of God than I ever had before. At the time, I hated reading. I would get easily distracted. I get, get headaches when I read. I like to work with my hands. I, I did not find reading pleasurable, which is problematic for anyone who is a pastor because we deal in the knowledge and people economy, and one of the ways we learn more about God is we have to read and study the greats along history. And I maybe read one book a year. And my pastor, my pastoral friends would often kind of make fun of me and give me a hard time because they were reading constantly. And I, I just didn't have an appetite for it. But all that changed when I was set free from myself. I was given such a curiosity and an appetite to learn more about who God is than, than I have ever had before. I went to reading about 24 books a year at least. I went to, sp- to spending oh, so much of my free time thinking about God, searching Him out, learning more about His character and nature, studying the ways of Jesus, studying the gospel slowly and deeply, and the more I uncovered, the more I wanted. The, the other, about a month or two ago, we had to move church offices and we had, had to pack up my library. And, and it took two trucks to bring all the boxes of my books to my home study. And someone made the comment of like, oh, wow, this is an amazing library. This is a, this is a great collection. This is... And I immediately went back to that funnel graphic of when you really become empty of yourself, there is just an automatic hunger for more of God. Psalms 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. This, unfortunately, has become a cute line in a song. It's become a cute verse on a coffee cup or on a bumper sticker or a flowery t-shirt. It is a horrific image. A deer, an animal, about to die, panting, hungering, thirsting for some refreshment. It's a really gruesome image, and yet we've kind of made it cute. But it's not cute of all. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation has been groaning. What this verse tells us is when the wolf howls at the moon, the wolf isn't howling at the moon just because it was genetically predisposed to do that or because it's bored. It's howling at the moon because on some level it remembers what it was like when the world was right. And it is hungering, thirsting, groaning for the return of Christ to come and make all things new. When there are earthquakes or natural disasters, we know mechanically how they are happening because of tectonic plates shifting and rubbing against one another. But underneath that, what Romans 8 tells us is that the earth at its foundations is groaning and yearning for Christ to come and set all things right. We can look in all the creation and see evidences and clues and, and mysteries of this. That our creation is aching and yearning for more of God to come back. The question is, if creation yearns with eager expectation, why don't we? Why are we so content with lesser things? C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes by him, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up and gives a gospel announcement in these terms. He cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's echoing the sentiment in Psalms 107 verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Is your soul longing for him? Is your soul hungry for the good things, the righteousness of God? If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to me. You will not only find what you're looking for, but I will put in your heart, I will put in your belly, a river of living water that will spill out on everyone else around you. So as I close, I would ask you, what are you hungry for? Are there any appetites that currently control you and have dominion over you? Are you honest about it? Are there appetites 
that God is calling you to renounce and forsake, surrender, let go of, repent of, and turn away from? Are there appetites that have you distracted away from having an appetite that is cultivated for more of God? What are some practical steps forward that you can act on today? As an example, um, about a year ago, I caught myself. I noticed that I would open the ESPN app several times an hour to see what the latest sports news was. And I discovered I had this hunger to know what was happening in the sports world. And multiple times an hour, I would open the ESPN app to see kind of what's the latest thing with the NFL or the NBA or the MLB or with soccer or with college basketball or whatever. And I was convicted that I don't have the same urges for the Bible app. And so God led me to delete the ESPN app off my phone for a season. For about 40 days, I didn't have it on my phone. And eventually I, you know, downloaded it again and I probably opened it maybe once a week or so just to kind of see what's going on. Is there anything like that in your life where just very simply the Lord might highlight, hey, there's this thing and I want you to delete it. I want you to cancel the subscription. I want you to walk away from that. I want you to reevaluate how you are trying to satisfy the deep hungers of your soul. At the end of the day, how is the Lord leading you to surrender and ask for the Holy Spirit to stir your affections for more of Him? Father, we thank you that you are the type of God who fills the hungry with good things, that you don't turn away those who are hungry. So we come to you and we say, stir our affections. Reveal to us any appetites for unrighteousness that have us subtly under their control and even the ones that are just outright blatant and obvious to everyone. I pray, God, for you to come and set us free from any distractions or lesser things. And I ask that you would, in return, give us a hunger and a thirst and an incredible desire for more of you in our life and in our world. Not so that you would love us more, not so that we would be saved, but because we already are saved. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for offering us rivers of life. We come to you. We feast on you. We invite you into our lives. And we ask for you to change us and to make us more like you. Make us people who hunger and thirst for righteousness so that you 
will fill us. 